Welcome to the American Reformer Podcast, hosted by Josh Abatoy and Tymon Klein. Our mission is to promote a vigorous Christian approach to the cultural challenges of our day, rooted in the rich tradition of Protestant social and political thought. All right. Hello and welcome back to the American Reformer podcast. You have your um, intrepid usual host, Tymon Klein, editor-in-chief, and you've got yours truly, Josh Abatoy, executive director. And we're very happy to be joined today by someone that most of you probably know, but you perhaps you don't know well enough, uh, Rosaria Butterfield. Um, Rosaria, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, to those who don't, uh, who don't know your full background. Can you can you introduce yourself uh, briefly before we sort of dig into our conversation? Yeah, I would love to. And thank you so much for this opportunity to chat with you guys. I love American Reformer. So I'm Rosaria Butterfield. I'm married to Kent Butterfield, who is the pastor of uh, the uh, First Reformed Presbyterian Church of Durham in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, I have had the amazing privilege to be married to a godly man for almost as long as I have been a Christian. And I'm sure that explains a whole lot about why um, and how the Lord uh, was really gave me a great deal of liberty and victory over the sin of homosexuality. So I uh, spent my early life, I'm 61, I'm everybody's grandma, So, and I really am a grandma, which is really delightful for me, um, but I spent my earlier life um, in lesbian relationships and was a tenured professor at Syracuse University, um, receiving tenure in uh, the late 90s and um, became one of the first crop of uh, tenured radicals in New York. And my field was English literature and um, cultural studies and LGBTQ uh, stuff. Queer theory was just emerging at that point. So I wasn't just the lesbian next door. I was the lesbian who wrote policy that that folded into uh, gay marriage laws. I was the lesbian that um, that taught an entire generation of students to think that homosexuality was wholesome. And so a lot of the work I do now as a pastor's wife and as a mom, it does have something to do with trying to help Christians see the dangers in these movements. Um, and so the book that I, that I released most recently it's called Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. It's published by Crossway, came out in September of 2023, and it addresses the lies that homosexuality is normal, that transgenderism is normal, that feminism is good for the church and the world, that pagan spirituality is good, and that modesty is just an outdated, uh, you know, arm of the patriarchy. And and I'm also somebody who, having been a professor of these things, you know, has had to repent a lot because not only was there a great deal of sin in my my pre-Christian life, but I carried a lot of these things into my um 
my Christian thinking. And so I've been really helped by, by American Reformer, by Aaron Wren's work on negative world, because my conversion was in neutral world. But, you know, I mean, it, it, you know, it, it's just been an interesting way. Uh, it was a helpful heuristic for me to think through my own, um, my own life. But anyway, I'm just uh, here to serve I don't have a ministry. I have a household. I'm a housewife I, who occasionally gets up extra early and writes a book that makes all kinds of people cry. So um, <laughs> okay, that's why good, we love good, you. Good, good. Yeah. Yeah, crying, yeah. you, you, first yes. of all, everybody needs to go buy and read your book. I mean, it's <laughs> it's uh, it's it's very powerful and, and very much needed. Um, you said something there that I did want to, to follow up on uh, briefly. So, you know, you, you were sort of, you were, you were intimately familiar with critical theory and its various permutations as a result of your academic career. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about your process for, um, you know, breaking away from, from critical theory following your conversion. Was this, was it something that you yeah. noticed right away uh, to be based on premises that are inconsistent with Christianity? Or was, right, was there right, a process right. that took some right. time? Well, the process was the great privilege of being discipled by a pastor named Ken Smith, who was then the pastor of the First Reformed uh, Presbyterian Church in Syracuse, New York. And um, I he was discipling me and I thought I was interviewing him. And so that was really fun. I thought he was my unpaid research assistant for a book I was writing on the religious right. And meanwhile, he was just happy to have a conversation with somebody as, you know, out to lunch as I was, <laughs> who was actually reading the reading the Bible to try to process all of this. So, so what one of the first things that Ken Smith said to me, he said, well, two things that uh, that were very helpful. And he was a very good, and he still is, he's 96 years old, but he is still a very good thinker of categories. He thinks in categories and, and I do too. And so he was pressing me on these. So one of the things, first things he said to me is he said, Rosaria, I can accept you as a lesbian. I just don't approve. Okay. And I thought, well, okay, why not? Okay. I have a whole university full of approving people. I don't need you. And, 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 and if you approved of me, you wouldn't be useful in this conversation for me anyway. So we, you know, this is fine. But the other thing he said is, you know, you seem to think that what is ethical determines what is true and what is valuable. And that is absolutely opposite to my understanding of the world and a biblical one. Um, in a biblical understanding, what is true determines what is ethical and what is valuable. And that became a touchstone for me when I finally did, you know, after reading the Bible through, you know, seven times and, and probably having 500 meals with Ken and Floyd Smith and, and just really wrestling with whether my, you know, what it means to be an image bearer of a holy God, what it means to be a woman, uh, what it is my lesbianism, who I am or how I am imputed by Adam's fall, all of those questions. But once I finally conceded that I believed that the resurrection of Jesus was true and that it would be true whether I believed it or not, 
that question that Ken asked me years prior became a touchstone for me to have to challenge my thinking in critical theory and other categories. If what is true determines what is valuable and what is ethical, then I couldn't bring, I couldn't domesticate critical theory through a gospel lens. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm curious, um, you know, I I know you've you've watched and observed this, but Mm -hmm. in the last five years, there's (laughs) been a, I guess I'd call it a soft played incursion of critical theory into the conservative evangelical world. Definitely. And definitely. I'm I'm curious what you make of that. Really? I mean, I know, I know, I know you are a critic of it, but I'm curious, you know, how, how do you think we should proceed? I mean, I, I think in many cases, this is the first time that evangelicals have been exposed to these ideas and the cultural narratives that prop them up are so powerful um, and the the social pressures, um, a lot of Christians really want to find a way to make peace with um, with critical right. theory in one way or another. Right, right, right. Well, on the f- the first, let's talk a little bit about how this happened. And I would say that this is a vestige of um, of neutral world where where cultural engagement. You know, we we want to be culturally engaging, and so we want to make sure that we're reading the books that other people are reading. We are understanding their categories, but because, especially broad evangelicalism, lacks distinctives and categories that are distinctly Christian, those ideas that became you know that are really central to critical theory, like power. Um, and minority status and privilege, they became fairly quickly, I'd say, seduced by those. But there is another problem that might have even preceded that. And it might be useful to just think of it in terms of the metaphor that Al Mohler gave us when talking about Andy Stanley's, you know, rank heresy. And he titled it in a world opinion piece, something like, the train is leaving the station. And I thought that was a really interesting title. I called up my dear friend Christopher Yuan and I said, didn't that train leave the station in 2014? Weren't we at the conference? And, <laughs> and you know, Christopher said, yes, it did. And, and I said, you know, doesn't it seem like broad evangelicalism is just on cars that are just behind that, you know, Andy Stanley's car going in the same direction? It's almost like what broad evangelicalism does is it's it's about five years behind the culture. But because it's not exactly uh, running at the same pace, it somehow thinks it's different. And, you know, both Christopher Yuan and I are raised in Chicago, and we've, you know, got on plenty of trains going to the wrong station. And let me tell you, if you're on a train going to the wrong station, you never think that having good dialogue on that train is going to turn the train around. You just get off at the first time you can and get on the right train. So I would say broad evangelicalism doesn't know what time it is. It's it's about five, maybe ten years behind the the you know the 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 the, the mothership. Um, it was easily seduced by categories such as privilege and power, and um, and then I would say you had that great problem of evangelical institutions. Um, giving their stamp of approval to these things. So a book that I think would be important, it's, I mean, there's just 
there's not enough Pepto-Bismol to get through the whole thing, quite frankly. But it's Nate Collins's book. The title is slipping my aged brain right now, but I read it in dissertation form, and it came out of Southern Seminary. And Nate Collins is the one of the founders of Revoice. Um, significantly, another founder of Revoice, Stephen Moss, did exactly what I'm talking about here, and he got off the the train, and he is biblically married, and um, I believe has children at this point. And so, you know, so uh, God's God's elect people are everywhere, and we just have to. Sometimes drag them out as though through the fire. But I remember getting roped into that dissertation by somebody from Southern saying, um, could you be the fifth reader? You know, and that's the fourth or the fifth reader on a dissertation is not somebody, it's somebody with credentials um, who does a little bit more than making sure the margins are right and the bibliography is formatted. I remember reading it and saying, this is one of the most godforsaken things I've read as, you know, as a Christian ever. What are you all thinking? He, he mishandles both the Bible and critical theory and queer theory all at the same time, which is really kind of, it's, it's an amazing <laughs> achievement. And I remember writing a letter to that professor at Southern that was the equivalent of, please take me off your distribution list. Um, um, and yet it was, it, it passed. Okay. Like it, it, see, and this is my point. Bad ideas don't run a culture amok until the church starts applauding them. And we've seen mm -hmm. a good bit of that. Maybe this was just the first time it came to my desk. Um, and so we see it in book blurbs that are absurd um, and in credentializing heresy and sin. And so so that would I, I would say that is its origin. And then and then part of why it became it became theologically rooted is broad evangelicalism doesn't like to remember that the seeds of the gospel are in the garden. No Adam, no gospel. And therefore, they very easily are smitten by, um, uh, you know, therapeutic and political concepts of unity and diversity. And, um, and again, along with a kind of um, a professional decency, you know, and in and, and my family, we, we, we acknowledge it. I married up, you know, I absolutely married up. I'm related to a lot of people named Guido who don't give their last name and died unexpectedly. And, you know, and Kent, <laughs> Kent is, uh, you know, distinguished guy, but in, so I, I don't find any problem in just calling things out, naming names. I think it's, part of what grown-ups do. It's certainly part of what moms do with their spanking spoon in their hand. But um, for some reason, broad evangelicalism doesn't want to do that. So, so a combination of re 
rejecting the Old Testament, re rejecting the, the law gospel connection, um, uh, you know, kind of semi-Pelagianism along with, uh, I think, a desire in a uh, neutral world to use, try to use critical theory as a bridge. Now, what I would say is that critical race theory it's, you know, it's bad news. It's a little bit like having a broken leg. Uh, don't try to run a marathon with it, but, you know, get to the hospital in time. You'll probably be okay. But the critical theory that is connected to queer theory, that's you, that comes into mm -hmm. the church. Well, that's not a broken leg. That's a fatal heart attack. And that's why the church needs to wake up right now and uh, and drive out, you know, revoice. Uh, Preston Sprinkles, Exiles in Babylon, and his, uh, you know, Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. And uh, you know, we probably should. I know it. You know, a little scary to say, but we should mention that that Cruz, uh, no matter how much scrubbing Crew has done to its website since I called them out in my Liberty Address. <laughs> uh, Putting lipstick on a pig is still a pig. And how in the world a uh, organization with hundreds of millions of dollars, did they have to hire an idiot to write their sexuality theological curriculum? How did that happen? Well, you know, here we are. Thank you, critical theory. Church has got to wake up and say, well, you know what? We're going to have to have this fight in the street. We didn't throw the first punch, but we're happy to throw the second. Hmm. Yeah, I, hmm. I think to to circle back on something you just said there, and I, I think this is why the the first chapter in your book, Five Lies, is so crucial. And and maybe alongside that, read Jared Moore's new book, yes. Lust of the Flesh. But yes, it seems to me that hmm. if we don't have the right anthropology. And if you think that God just made some vast, I mean, according mm -hmm. to polling, it's a large percentage of the upcoming population. If God made that vast portion of the population um, with a fixed, immutable sexual orientation right. uh, that would be immoral, um, if that's your starting point, um, it, it just seems like you're going to have significant pressure to engage in uh, rationalization, um, you know, biased uh, justification and reading of scripture, and it right. will tend to get you to the wrong endpoint. And yeah, absolutely. And, and I would just say, so J Jared's book is is brilliant, and I had the privilege of blurbing it. It is probably the only succinct summary of the doctrine of concupiscence that I know of that I can literally just buy by the case and hand to students, which I've had the privilege uh, of, of, of doing. So I think it's really, really helpful. And basically what it does is it takes that side B gay Christianity slogan, which the Gospel Coalition has decided to run with, you know, ad nauseum, and, and, and it, it, uh, it shows not only is it dangerous and wrong, but that we've lost a whole generation of, of, of young people to it. And the slogan goes like this, um, your same-sex attraction, and then you could actually plug in there, I'm going to say almost any other sin, pornography, uh, you know, just plug it in there. It's, if you didn't choose it, and you're not really, really, really acting on it, uh, whatever that means, um, 
then it's not a sin. It's a morally neutral temptation. And what you need to do is flee temptation and fight sin. And I'll tell you what, that is that is a lie from the pit of hell. And sadly, it's a lie that I coddled in my own heart and um, and even shared with others for way too many years, too. And and Jared does a great job of nailing it. And I mean, I just came back from the CrossCon conference and um, and met with, you know, 12,000 students who are hungry to have victory over their sin. And so this idea that 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 homosexuality is a category of personhood is is Freudianism. It's not biblical. What homosexuality is, is it's it's found in the flesh. It's forbidden in the law and it's overcome in the savior. Mm -hmm. Well, well, on on all this, you know, the the, since we're still in the sort of accommodation of critical theory Mm -hmm. generally, um, you know, in in evangelicalism, I mean, one one thing that strikes me is the, you know, the same people that that kind of aided and abetted that process, however we want to cut it and and however it Mm -hmm. actually happened. What's interesting to me is they, you know, they're the ones that are probably the most frothing against the emergence of, I would say, broadly, you know, anthropological questions and reassessments that are happening on what what they're going to say is very right wing circles that are super, super dangerous. And those that also extends into political life. And I mean, anthropology, I think, is the battle of our day. Um, It's the one that's most questioned and most unmoored. So they're the ones that are also most freaked out, you know, by by what the kids are doing. And what's hilarious to me about that is they as soon as evangelicalism adopts something from uh, from the world, they immediately make it lame. (laughs) Right. Like if you were at Berkeley. If you were at Berkeley in the 60s and you're reading Marcuse, I totally get it. It's cool. Right. It's edgy. It's awesome. You know, it, it, it's you're fighting the power, whatever. And uh, it makes perfect sense to me. And it's like this. So that's what you guys, you know, these evangelicals are trying to emulate. You're, you're like right. way late to the party, but you're now trying to be cool. And what's actually cool where the real intellectual energy is, is in your opponents and you're right. castigating them. So you're again demonstrating how far behind right. the times you are. And it's just a, a um, you know, you've already mentioned, of course, mm-hmm. Aaron Wren's uh, tripartite, you know, evangelical world uh, theory, and yep. uh, which is very helpful, that framework. Um, evangelicals just, you know, at the bottom of this have no self-confidence whatsoever and and therefore are not able to, to approach the world for uh, both in the good things right. and the bad things, being good critics or um, good, you know, good accommodation, you could say, right. le- learning good things. Um, what, you know, what, do you, do you have any thoughts on, you know, through this transition of, in worlds, why evangelicals just lack, you know, a, a collective yeah, yeah, spine, yeah. I would say, and, and self-confidence to be assertive in, in the, you know, the public world uh, on all these issues that we're bringing right. up. It just seems like they're always on their back foot. And right, never right, right. Assertive. Well, you know, I, 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 I have a, I have an idea, uh, but it's not my idea. Um, uh, but, <laughs> but it is, I, uh, in fact, just yesterday in our Sunday school class, uh, Ben Inman, who uh, was teaching our, our Sunday school class on, and we were talking about traditions and creeds, you know, as soon as you start to say, this, this is what he was teaching yesterday, as soon as you say no creed but the Bible, you lose the ability to not be indoctrinated by the seduction of critical theories impulse towards a kind of bereft compassion. 
So I'm not I'm not smart enough to come up with that, but I I was you know alert enough to remember it for today. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's absolutely true because without a tradition, it's all you know, and, and it is a um, this becomes a kind of a kind of um, a historical issue without a tradition. And of course, you know, scripture it 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 embeds that tradition among generations. Um, but without that, you can be bereft of all history, and then all of a sudden, a new history can be imparted into that, which is, of course, pretty Marxist move. Um, but you really do mm-hmm. see that in the uh, the queer theory, the revoice, um, uh, you know, side Bism, uh, this idea that somehow, uh, I mean, you know, it, the first revoice had a, a plenary on our queer treasures in heaven, and, and you know. Yeah, okay, right, and 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 let's not forget. Let us not forget that that was, um, uh, you know, we had a uh, covenant seminary, the PCA's flagship seminary. Um, Timon might want to be, you know, jumping in on this along with Greg, Greg Johnson, <laughs> who, um, you know, the what did he call himself? He was a Kinsey Six gay pastor of the PCA. Now, can I just, you know, again, I I think we see the the issue here and we see the, 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 the problem, but, but one of the, one of the, one of the realities is that when the church sins in these ways, when we sin, if we don't actually repent of those sins, then we're just being aching in the camp. So the problem is, okay, fantastic. The PCA made Greg Johnson uncomfortable enough that he took his marbles and left. But one of those marbles he left with was his ordination, uh, which means that the booty that Aiken stole is still somewhere buried deep in the woods here. And, and, and until that is dealt rightly with, as God has ordained, we're not going to see God's blessing. So one of the big problems is broad evangelicalism loves to monetize, sloganize, and then when things get a little uncomfortable, they get a little bit of blowback, they quote unquote learn. You know, they they course correct. <laughs> they they in their in their humility and you know, please hear all the sarcasm that my eyebrow raising is offering that you can't see on a podcast, but you know, that's cowardly. It's stupid and it's sinful. When you sin, you repent. And by doing that, not only does it give glory to God, which is what we all want to be doing, but it also indicates to those people who are listening to us, it, it it's the only way to tell somebody how to mark and avoid in your own um earlier work. So uh, there are a lot of things I did in my earlier work. And if I keep writing, I'm sure I'll keep finding sin in that. But if you don't repent of it, people don't know to mark and avoid. Instead, what they believe is it's all about pluralism. The gospel is all about pluralism. And then you get to a very ahistorical idea that um, negative, let's, let's go back to the heuristic about negative world. Um, negative world is just about political categories or maybe 
um, evangelistic, um, you know, frames of reference. But actually, what we need to realize today is that the very words, the very neologisms that we used in, let's say, neutral world, if you use them in negative world, all you're doing is negotiating the terms of your own surrender. And that's, mm. that's a key problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, <laughs> I, I remember thinking back, you know, to the, uh, I guess it's, it's sort of died down now, but the, the doctrine of God controversies we had a few years ago in reform circles over, you know, there were certain theologians, John mm -hmm. Frame was one of them. There were a few others that, that, you know, took, w went further. So they're not no creed, but mm -hmm. the Bible people, but they kind of come up with, well, we can assert, we can insert into our confessional documents you know, kind of whatever meaning we, we right. need or want, judging by you know right. the present moment. So, you, so you kind of the can is kind of kicked down the road, and you're doing it again. And I remember when that was happening, thinking that this is going to happen on, on yep. multiple fronts. This is just the first one, and it's kind of a nerd argument, and no one's really paying attention. But right. it is happening um, because these are you know in the uh, we have Josh's in the SBC. They have a you know confession. They have a document, a constitution they're supposed to abide by, and it's it's open to subject to constant reinterpretation right. by certain people. And the same thing has, hap has happened in certain right. reform circles with even, you know, the Westminster Confession. And so that's, you know, further historical detachment inside of an ostensibly historical tradition. And it just shows that, you know, once, once this kind of way of thinking and approach gets in, I mean, it's, it's totally right. cancerous. There's nothing that's right. really safe from it. And, and if you don't have a, some kind of fundamental metaphysics, right. Uh, that you that you're going to accept it's historical. You're just open to all sorts right, of right. And I would say the way it gets in is that the church starts to accept a neologism, a new word, like let's say se sexual orientation, mm. or even the concept of anti-gay, yeah. or the use of transgender pronouns. And at a certain point in time, those words are indeed vocabulary words. But after um, laws are changed. So think Obergefell, Bostock, mm -hmm. Title IX. Um, after laws are changed, those words become what um, Raymond Williams would call keywords. And they move mm -hmm. from being ideology to vocabulary. So if you say you are against reparative therapy in 1997 and you were thinking about the use of electroshock therapy, you know, in, you know, in a particular conversion experience, you use that today, you're actually supporting uh, anti biblical, uh, you know, discourse in your land. And so, you know, it, 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 what, if you, if you constantly just cede the moral language to the left, you don't realize mm -hmm. that you lose a biblical language because those words have mm -hmm. taken over a new meaning. Let's face it. Nobody loses their job for using the wrong word in the synonym finder. But if you're losing your job over not using transgender pronouns, that means it's not a word anymore. It's something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this, I mean, this, at least for, um, <laughs> has to be selectively 
this advice has to be selectively given, but this is why I do say, you know, reading some critical theory is very helpful because it's, they're very honest uh-huh. and open and in a lot of it is projection, <laughs> right? They tell you exactly right. what they're doing and, and it's happening right. to you in real time. I mean, it is illuminating in that way. It's not, it's not, all of it's not particularly impressive, but it's because it's so political, um, you know, they do understand a lot of how this works, especially right. linguistically. And they, they tell you exactly what they're going to do. And then you can look out and see that it's, right. it's happening to you, even in evangelicalism. That's why I just thought you right. guys are such losers when this was going on, because you're re- you claim to be reading the books right. to, you know, really get sensitive. And, and it's telling you the, you know, the sort of experiment they're conducting on That's you and exactly going right. along with it. So it's, it's exactly bizarre. Right. It's, it's a bizarre, um, but Josh, you may have more to say on the, on the SBC front and the egalitarianism. Uh, that's that's been the debate ongoing there for a couple yeah, of years absolutely. now. Absolutely, I mean, we've uh, Rosario. You've probably maybe you know that we've uh, at American Reformer we've written a lot about this, and then have um, have have worked a bit in the trenches as well with with mm-hmm. some people in the SBC. But you know, we're essentially having a debate about whether I mean, we we have a uh, a short confession, mm-hmm. the Baptist faith and message. Um, yeah. Which I think to a Presbyterian would seem, you know, woefully inadequate, uh, written on the back of a napkin. Yes. Um, but, but one yes. of the things that, I'm glad you finally see that. Says in there though is that you know the office of pastor is is um, is only open to qualified men <clears throat> in accordance with with Scripture. It's not there's not really any ambiguity on that point. Um, but yeah, despite that clarity, we've had this emerging debate within the Southern Baptist Convention, and it's proceeded along very strange lines. Um, you know, it started uh, with the moderate or, um, well, let's call them the egalitarian faction, essentially saying, well, this isn't really a significant portion of the SBC. You know, it's not really worth worth your time investigating, um, yeah. but it's it's become very clear in the last couple of years and that yeah. in fact it's a very there's there's a very meaningful percentage of the SBC that yeah is functionally egalitarian in various ways yeah and so it, now the defense now the whole debate has actually shifted to um well you know that may be the case but um mission is more important than dogma <laughs> uh literally uh, this right. is, is given and, <laughs> right um yeah, and and we need to have a big enough tent that we can continue yeah. to do our important work of of mission, you know, sending missionaries and all the rest. Yeah, and so yeah, I we, think, we, yeah, <laughs> I think that's why that's why Greg Johnson was serving highballs to drag queens in the annex of his church, right? I mean, as I recall. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. so can I can I actually lean in on that a little bit? Yes. I, 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 so you know, yes. in in and in, in in my circles, we. Um, we believe and uphold something called the the regulative principle of worship but we also mm-hmm. uh, there is also a doctrine of the regulative uh, principle of doctrine and that is the frame that we would use to uh to kind of think through some of these things but my understanding is baptists use this kind of tier system and un- unfortunately, the the the, the quote unquote women pastor thing fell into that like second tier issue. So my understanding, I could you know, you're going to have to give me pushback on this. This is not my, you know, this is not my world. Um, but it seems to me 
that if 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 you have to um, relegate everything that isn't a quote unquote salvific issue to the second tier, you can never really scrutinize it very well. And I, I would also say that the use of a word like complementarian and egalitarian, I don't like new words. I mean, if the word shows up in 1970, mm -hmm. I'm just not going to like it, generally speaking. But I really don't like those words. I really prefer biblical patriarchy. And, and part of the reason is the mm -hmm. egalitarian, complementarian word uh, words, they, they actually, they, they actually use a false distinction that feminism makes, a distinction between sex and gender. And mm -hmm. I think as soon as you, as soon as you take a little part of the poison, you're not going to be able to see the way it threads through, but it will thread through. And so um, there, you know, just just so our listeners understand, I there is no biblical distinction between sex and gender. And for, you know, hundreds of years, those words meant the same thing anyway. Uh, and, and I really like the way uh, Pastor Chris Gordon says it in his uh, New Reformation Catechism. He says to introduce gender mm -hmm. as a new category of personhood separate from the biological category of sex in pursuit of a different sexual identity is unnatural to the creation order and harmful to the purpose for which God made us. So what I would say is by by not really taking on the this this uh this issue of um the ordination of women um and and or even even not even just the ordination just the this sort of strange idea that if you don't have a woman on the stage you know reading scripture or just i don't know presenting herself that other women are not going to be connected. It, it really falsifies a lot of the things that the Bible has said to be true about things like the Word of God. Um, I, I am not as a as a um, as a worshiper. I'm not there trying to find an image of myself reflected back to me. In fact, the only reason I would have to look at myself during worship is to find sin and repent of it. So I would say that tear issue already opened enough room for a feminist problem. What What do you all think? I, I think that's a fair a critique. I mean, the, the system is not, to, to be clear, this isn't formal, you know, Baptist doctrine or anything. Actually, okay. it's a yeah. theory, I think, that was proposed first by, um, by Al Mohler, actually. And, and, and I would say it can be a helpful rough heuristic in some senses to think of different levels of, um, to, to, to have different levels when you, when you triage, right? When you mm -hmm. uh, focus on top tier threats, mm -hmm. I think, I, I'd, I'd be curious what you think about this. I would actually be tempted to argue that um, egalitarianism verges on a a heresy, but it's a, sort of a different yes. type of heresy. It's not a Christological heresy, but it's sort of a, a heresy of nature. Yes, absolutely. And mm -hmm. it, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not, wouldn't necessarily say it's it's salvific, but I could see it heading that way 
in the case of someone who sort of knowingly adopts it with full knowledge of all of its premises and all of its right. implications. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. And I don't think we were expecting to have to defend the gospel at the level of nature. But that's where we are right now. Mm -hmm. So I mm -hmm. do think that the created order is, you know, it must become a first tier issue if we if we want to use that. And yeah. when when it's not, that's how you get something like um, the quote unquote they to whom Preston Sprinkle dedicated his book embodied as his, you know, forerunner in Christian virtue. That's how that, well, it's a woman, how she showed up at the last Revoice conference, you know, draped in a, in a transgender flag with the words Amago Dei superimposed oh upon them. If that's not mm -hmm. heresy, folks, you got to tell wow. me what is. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, I mean, this is goes goes back to, I mean, this there's many we're like reaching way back into causality here, but the, but the, you know, a problem for American Christians, evangelicals in particular, for a long time, and you can see it building, is is this detachment from the broader Christian mm -hmm. tradition, specifically not just its anthropology, but it's you know, we could say the yep. book of nature. They're just totally detached from that. It, you know, you see this in uh, you know true biblicism as it still as it still exists. And um, you're you're cutting yourself off from an entire array of you know theological work that's right. been done, and it used to be presumed that the book of nature, the things known naturally and through metaphysics, so on and so forth, were preparatory for acceptance of the gospel because it, it makes it's it's very difficult to understand if you don't have a basic conception of reality how any of it would make right. sense anyway, um, because right. it's assumed. And we, we totally got away from that in this sort of conversionist, you know, salvation only is what matters. Kind of, you just need to adopt these positivist sort right. of assertions from the Bible. Don't worry about how they make sense. And so it, it, it flows naturally, it seems to me, to get to a point where the, the bottom has been ripped out from under our yeah. doctrine because we have no, no authoritative conception of nature and all this stuff can just waltz right in. And, um, there's, there's lots of reasons all that happened. Uh, but it did. And, and now the debate is over, you know, that that a aspect of revelation, which is still from God and no less important um, to our, our, you know, holistic right. kind of doctrine. But it's it's been that has been to me when you talked about the tiers across evangelicalism, those things have been put on a second tier to me. And I would say that there are heresies against nature. Josh has said that before, and I think it's a really good way to put it, that should be, you know, quite significant to us, right. quite serious. And they're just right. Not Absolutely. That way and anymore. it leads to this really strange idea that you can have the fruit of the spirit and it can just kind of dance mm -hmm. on a therapeutic notion of self-love and self, and I can invent myself. And, um, and, and I would say that that is a, not just a heresy of nature, but that is, that is, that is Pelagianism because it's a complete mm -hmm. denial mm -hmm. of uh, the imputation of Adam's sin in my nature. And if you reject mm -hmm. uh, the imputation of Adam's sin, what does the infusing of Christ's righteousness mean? You see, you can't, mm -hmm. that there's an interconnectedness that is denied. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. the, the, there's, mm -hmm. um, the modern person thinks that there's some 
authentic self out there that they just they just discover by looking within the depths of their own heart, looking at right. know, gazing at their own navel, and right, and um, there's no there's not really a lot of room for the <laughs> the the act of repentance, the act of um, of, of God calling us away no. from our sinful nature. And they're, and they're also, I mean, I would say the other thing too, is it leads to really wacky theories about, about just, you know, what time is it? Because that's, you know, that's the ultimate, I'd say dividing line among Christians right now. When you say what time is it? And people mm-hmm. give you different times, you know, like we're, we're really, it's a, it's a problem, mm-hmm. but, um, but no, I think, I think it's really serious, uh, you know, to, to, to cite examples of cross-dressing in, you know, an ancient world is not to say that we've always had transgenderism. Transgenderism is the invention mm-hmm. of an evil kind of modernist anthropology. It, it didn't exist before mm-hmm. a yeah. post-Freudian era. And now that it does, you know, what does the church, what what should the church say to the man you meet at the school board meeting who supported the castration of his 14-year-old son? You know, well, if you're, if you're, um, you know, some of the big Eva parachurch ministries, you would say things like, oh, we need to humanize the transgender experience. But, you know, God forbid this, you know, we need to save as though through the fire, says Jude 23, people who are being co-opted by a satanic um, influence that the church, in part, allowed in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah. That. that oh, well, go I, ahead, John. I, I want to shift okay. gears actually, <laughs> so maybe go ask your question. Yeah. Well, yeah. La- last thing on this front just came to mind. The you know the way Rosaria, you're you're willing to talk about. Um, you know, the, all the, the, this whole group of mm-hmm. issues, we could say in a very serious way, it is mm-hmm. castration. It is a satanic, you know, I would say it's a ritual, mm-hmm. it's a sacrament, same mm-hmm. with abortion, these things that this is how they're handled. Um, to think of them in that, in that way, their real function, mm-hmm. what they're doing is, is almost something that, that critical theorists would be more <laughs> comfortable with. That's how they will describe the world. Yeah. Right. And so evangelicals are very uncomfortable with with calling yeah. a spade a spade you know talking about it yeah. the way it really is and the way it functions and it's always the defense against it is always that it's unloving it's dehumanizing right. yeah blah 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 you know it keeps going what is the you know perhaps the antidote to that is just to continue to be forthright with it but you know what what how do you how is the system hacked you know in a certain way um, to get evangelicals to be more uh, assertive in this way and, and realize it's not, it's in right. fact more loving to be truthful. Right, about right. Well, all first this. of all, we need to be willing to take our own behind the woodshed. So, you know what I mean by that? Like, I just, mm-hmm. we, uh, I have no tolerance for the confusion of pluralism with the gospel which means I have no tolerance for whatever Russell Moore and uh, David French are are cooking up. And I think it's really interesting <laughs> to me that their after-party curriculum seems to riff on, um, a, you know, a foundational book in gay nationalism, uh, you know, Marshall Kirk's and Hunter, Hunter Madsen's After the Ball. So, uh, you know, these these mm-hmm. curricula that start with prepositions are sort of an interesting move. Um, so first, just... Let's let's just be 
honest about what we're seeing here and not confuse our categories. The second is, let's uh, be alert to the fact that once you've allowed wolves in the church, and once you, we now live in a world where all three of the exchanges in Romans 1, the exchange of truth for lies, heterosexuality for homosexuality, and worship of the creature for worship of the creator, once those have been um, exchanged and now codified in law, we have an idol problem. And I don't just mean, oh, idols in our hearts. Yes, I understand you have those, and I do too. But we have a problem of LGBTQ being the reigning idol of our day. Um, the way that my friend Andrew Branch pointed pointed out at a school board meeting was, um, you know, if a Muslim child uh, walks into a classroom, people are expected to say, welcome, we're glad you're here. They're not expected to say, Allah is God. But a child, you know, wrapped in a rainbow flag walks in the room and that child is expected to be not just accepted, but affirmed. Um, and so we mm -hmm. need to call this out, which means that Christians need to start thinking in categories. They need to, and they need to know their categories. And those categories needed to be rooted in tradition and in something that is distinctive about Christian, about what it means to be a Christian statesman, even. Um, the other is that we need to not be spooked by name calling. Uh, you know, I, I believe me, I've been called worse than a Christian nationalist, and um, I'm from a denomination that believes in the mediatorial kingship of Christ, and I think that makes Christian nationalism look kind of like child's play. So, you know, I, I don't know, you can't scare me on that one. So <laughs> we need to be willing to not be spooked by, um, you know, by, by some of that and just be, you know, a little bit thicker skin. The other is we need to realize that um, when you have an idol problem, the idols actually need to be destroyed. Uh, you know, you, you don't go while babies are being, you know, dropped into the the pit of Moloch and you sing Kumbaya next to it. No, you destroy the uh, you destroy the idol and then you proclaim the word of God. Um, you know, we're psalm singers, and some of those psalms are imprecatory psalms, and those are good to sing, good to think about. Um, and, you know, and the other is just to realize that God is going to winnow the church. Look, there are a lot of falsely converted people who have come to a, to a false understanding that they are saved and Christian through these heresies. And um, uh, the we need to be willing to 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 make good on that and to share the the truth of the gospel and because you know again god's elect people are everywhere so i would just say toughen up get a grip fire your almost christian you know feminist therapist and um and let's get on with it well let, let the record show that rosaria is probably the only person that will come on the podcast that critiques christian nationalism for being weak sauce <laughs> So. Well, well, I, I'm not. Uh, what I would just say is that the uh, yeah, that's going to get me in a boatload of trouble, guys. Um, talk, I think you're going to have to talk to my pastors. But I do think I would love to hear more of an engagement with the mediatorial kingship of Christ, mm. because that is calling yeah. the nations yeah. to repent. And and the way it looks like at a school board meeting is, and and in fact, you you published a great article by Caleb Goodnight that. Uh, actually featured that mm -hmm. very school board meeting where he did this. It's where um, you call mm -hmm. the school board 
to repent, not just of their personal sins, but of hanging millstones around the necks of children. And if you do that Mm -hmm. at a school board Mm -hmm. meeting, and that's what Caleb did, the next thing that happened was really profound. The only time the word pervert was used was against those of us who were Mm -hmm. speaking against anti-trans. So anyway, yeah, that's, that's, Yes. Well, you're corrupting the youth. <laughs> That's what it so, looks yes, like. Of course. They, uh, well, yeah, and, and it is, that is, uh, you know, it is stuff that should be pulled mm-hmm. out in our tradition. I think George Gillespie is very good on, on, uh, the mediatorial kingship and its significance for political thought. But, um, so, so yes, I think that does need more engagement. Um, Josh, yeah, I, I cut you off earlier for that. Uh, yeah, uh, but this go is ahead. shifting gears a little bit, but it's related to the conversation we've had so far. So Rosaria, um, Tim Keller, late in his life, I think it might have been one of the last published works that he had was a, a white paper on the future of evangelicalism, in which he laid out a framework um, where he put he had a he had a four four categories. Fundamentalists he put in category number one. Category number two he called complementarian evangelicals. Category number three, egalitarian evangelicals. And then category number four was what you might call deconstructionists. And Keller um, proposed in this white paper that the path forward was for the number twos and the number threes to collaborate and to distance themselves from the number ones. Yeah. And the the definition of fundamentalist was not necessarily a you know historical one. I, I think it probably would have encapsulated all three of us, um, as an example, but the, you know, I, I, Aaron Wren's written about this. I believe Zach Garris has commented on it as well. I've seen this. This is, this is literally what's being implemented in the SBC right now, Mm -hmm, or at least mm -hmm. proposed by, by the, um, moderate factions. But I'm, I'm curious, you know, you've got a pulse on sort of a wide swath of evangelicalism. You, you, you're out on the speaking circuit, are you seeing this strategy implemented in various ways, um, and what do you make of it? Yeah, well, I think the Gospel Coalition in the Keller Center is really doubling down on it, but um, I think it's going to go the way of the dinosaur. Really, I don't. I don't see how a world that is increasingly hostile to real Christianity is, I mean, I don't even think this is going to be relevant. So um, what I think Keller was doing in that paper was um, defending his record. I think that was very much a, mm-hmm. um, you know, my my final words on my center church uh, movements. And, um, and I think one of the real dangers of Tim Keller's work is that he never thought it was responsible to look behind. So he was very good at looking ahead, but leaders need to look behind. And if literally people are falling off the cliff while they're following you, that's a problem. Um, and so, I, you know, no, I would say, in fact, by by trying to collapse the, you know, his categories of, of complement, uh, you know, complementarian and egalitarian evangelicalism, the collapse of those categories together um, it is a, a, it's ridiculous. Um, and I, and I don't think it's helpful at all. I think you definitely see it in crew in gospel coalition. Um, 
but I don't think it's going to have any staying power. I'm much more apt to want to put the fun back in fundamentalism, as they say, and, uh, you know, just, you know, sing those imprecatory psalms on the, you know, on, on the stairs of the school board and invite the dad over for dinner who castrated his son and share the gospel that way and be distinctive, be boldly distinctive and hold out a real victory for sin. So I was just, you know, just came back from one of those big evangelical um, youth events. And I learned that um, a very high percentage, 80% was the number I was given of students were denied, uh, and by not just students, but young people, the 18 to 24 crowd denied uh, applications to be, to be missionaries because they had no ability to uh, combat their sexual sin. And, and you know, that is really mm. discouraging. And, and I think what Christians want, real Christians want to thrive in the Lord. Real Christians really want to grow to be like Jesus. Um, real Christians want to be unencumbered by our indwelling sin. We want to see victory. We want that Isaiah 61, one through three, victory. And so I think that, you know, the gospel coalition is going to try to put life, breed life into this and, and, and other, and other groups, but I don't think it's going to work. And I think that those groups are, are dwindling because they're not effective. Mm. And I would say from based on my experience at this last conference, students know that. And if you go in and you, you know, you share the 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 heart of the gospel which is jesus died for sinners and i am the chief of them um you share the heart of creation which includes an understanding that god made you male and female in the image of god and that your image bearing along with your maleness and your femaleness is ontological and god isn't some crazy engineer who builds a bridge that falls into a lake. He created a pattern for a purpose. If you're struggling with homosexual desires, you are to kill that sin, drive a fresh nail into it a thousand times a day, get up tomorrow and do the same thing. And then you're to cultivate what's good. And what's good? Well, heterosexuality, that's what's good. And we need to tell people that. Now, I'm not suggesting that you can be have sanctification without justification. I'm talking to people who have been justified. But once justified, you need to work at your sanctification, and you need to know what direction to point your feet and start marching, young man. And we need to say that forcefully and firmly. We need to realize that the the scourge of the heresy of side Bism um, and the false gospel of gay Christianity didn't just stay in a gay culture. Why is the world growing in singleness? Well, because of that, <laughs> you know, Be because we don't, we, if we do believe that everyone is potentially gay or even that anyone is potentially gay, ontologically speaking, um, we have, um, we cast aspersion on the great power of that pattern and that purpose. And so 
I would say that what uh, what Keller was doing was trying to defend his record. And it's really unfortunate because as believers, we don't have to defend our record. We just have to repent and believe and follow Christ. Well, I'm glad I, I never read that white paper. I saw how <laughs> it long, long it was and just was like, I'll wait for I'll wait for That's Aaron right. Rand and Josh Abitoy to tell me what's going on with, but the, your, your presentation sounds much better to me. So now I definitely don't need to go read it. Um, but, but it seems to me, I mean, this is, this is my own um, perception, but it, it sounds to me like you, you agree. I mean, I'm in, for these reasons that you, you gave um, somewhat optimistic about the, oh, yeah. the younger generations, because I think they're so dissatisfied mm-hmm. with the, the gruel they've been served yeah. on many fronts, but especially in evangelicalism. And, you know, people spilled ton- way too much ink uh, trying to figure out, you know, why in the world do these male influencers, Jordan Peterson, whatever, right. have any cachet? And I think this is exactly why, um, you know, the the acceptance, the, the unbridled acceptance and sort of pluralistic, yeah. uh, you know, leveling of, of all people and, and all responsibilities is uninspiring it's not visionary it's nothing right. positive and it leaves you in your in your sin and your kind of misery um with right. nothing to do so i think it's it's the the uh, half-life right. on all of that was very short and it's it's pretty much ending but it, are you are you similarly oh, optimistic yes. about you know the 18 yes. to 24 crowd is as you put it coming up because yeah, definitely and i would say the 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 kind of you know just the kind of panty wastes that that produce a gospel of effeminacy and you know everybody needs to go to therapy i think it it, it doesn't just leave people sad it it leaves people wondering if they're christians or not i mean i genuinely so and i mm-hmm. i've had the experience of of handing jared's book to uh, you know so, to dear friends who are despondent and 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 having one come back to me and say, you mean I just I've just not understood repentance of sin, you know, like it it, you know, I think the basics are extremely important. And going and telling people, you know, you just go need to evangelize when that student that young person knows that he is pornography addicted, he he can only evangelize as a hypocrite, and he knows that. And so I would definitely say I am very, very hopeful. Um, and, you know, I'm I'm cautioned. I'm told that I am not connecting with young people anymore. And yet, uh, you know, that was not my experience in a, a pretty stern Liberty address uh, in in, I think, November and then um, had some pretty stern conversations with people over at CrossCon in January. And so what I've been saying to people is, okay, I'm not, um, you say I'm not connecting with young people. I think I'm connecting with them the way their mother's spanking spoon connected with their behind and they're responding, you know, because you know why they're Christian Mm -hmm. and, and they want to grow in Christ. Mm -hmm. They, they want the hope that comes in really understanding that I can't possibly repent of my sin if I don't recognize it as sin. And this, um, you know, I, I, I think I should be ashamed of my sin. Don't tell me I shouldn't. And, um, don't tell me I shouldn't repent of, of this, this desire 
that isn't acted upon because the the 10th commandment tells me I should not covet my neighbor's wife, not I should not take. I mean, I shouldn't take, but I also shouldn't covet. And um, don't tell me that my sin isn't sin because I didn't choose it. Because Paul says in Romans 7, why do I do what I don't want to do? It is not I, it is sin in me. These young people are asking for tools. Um, They're asking for, Mm -hmm. and, and those tools are found in the distinctives of the, of of real Christianity, which has nothing to do mm-hmm. with the you know these um, these falsifications and these these soft heresies. I don't even think they're soft, but I'll go ahead and be nice to Preston Sprinkle right now. Soft heresies, um, <laughs> because all those do is either lead people to hell telling them that they're Christian or leads people into depression who are Christian by denying them the great liberty that's in the gospel. I mean, the, 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 the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 15, it, the title is, is Repentance Unto Life. And, um, you know, question 76 of our larger catechism defines that really clearly. Repentance unto life is a saving grace wrought in the heart of a sinner by the spirit and word of God, whereby out of the sight and sense, not only of the danger, but also of the filthiness and odiousness of his sins and upon the apprehension of God's mercy in Christ to such that are penitent. So he so grieves for and hates his sins as that he turns from them all to God, purposing and endeavoring constantly to walk with him in all the ways of new obedience and my sense in proclaiming that gospel to you know tens of thousands of students just in the last couple of months who keep asking for more is that christians want to serve christ and they need help these young people have been saddled with a false gospel and um and a kind of false therapeutic hope and they're sick of it and i am too yeah. And it, it, I mean, even in the, you know, there's the, the people that have, have pushed a lot of this in evangelicalism. I mean, they, it's sort of this, I remember th- realizing this with Russell Moore, for, for instance, um, he's the, the easiest whipping boy, rightly so, um, is, you know, for a while, it was this whole thing of, um, you know, don't marry politics to your, to your faith. That's the problem. That's the problem. And then you find out, oh, it's just the wrong kind of politics is what you're not allowed to marry. Uh, to your faith it has to be approved by Russell Moore. And so all of this is all, you know, it's been pushed for social consciousness, justice, you know, all the taglines. Um, and they've kind of pushed it into, you know, or at least the way we talk about certain issues, but with the, the young people in, in particular, and then even the age bracket that, you know, Josh and I are in, uh, you see changes in people as they mm-hmm. get married mm-hmm. and have families, all of a sudden their outlook on both the church um, and, and public life changes radically because they have skin in the game now. And I think uh, what's, what's potentially scary with the generation below us is so much has been done to them that is starting to preclude even that basic kind of life progression. Uh, you have all these, you know, detransitioners that now have non-functioning genitalia. Exactly. You have people that have a sort of secular asceticism where, you know, young people aren't even having premarital sex. Right. They're having sex at all. 
Uh, they're not reproducing, right. you know, they're, they're not having real relationships. And that is, that is really right. the scary thing that, that in some ways evangelicalism right. is right. aided and embedded. Um, and it begins with this basic gospel. Absolutely. And I think we need to be clear. It isn't just that evangelicalism is, is, is failing to teach the doctrine of repentance. It's that in some cases, it's denying that you should repent at all. And even going so far as mm -hmm. to say that calling t people to repent is harmful and sinful. So uh, just quoting here uh, from Preston Sprinkle's new book, Does the Bible Support Same-Sex Marriage? He says right in the beginning that, quote unquote, don't you love this, straight Christians should never wave these texts around. He's talking about Romans 1 here as proof that gay people need to repent. So do you catch that? It, the hmm. word of God is not a double-edged sword, you know, separating between the spirit and the soul and infusing in this powerful way uh, the blood of, of Christ's righteousness, um, along with the power of the resurrection to, to do that which by yourself you can't do. No, no, no. It's just this thing that straight Christians sometimes, whoever those people are, by the way, use as a tool to batter and beat down, quote unquote, gay people, as though that is a stable category of personhood. And if you tell people that they don't need to repent, what you are actually doing is, is denying them gospel grace. Other than Satan, I don't know who else, uh, aside from, oh, I guess Preston Sprinkle here, but other than Satan, I'm not sure who else wants you to do that. <laughs> and, and, and that's on right, page right. 43 and, and the, for those yeah. people who are listening saying, oh, she's such a meanie. Goodness gracious, you think I'm bold. Right, you right. Or, or, or claiming yeah, right. you don't know her. Right. They're always oh, right, claiming no. in the reading or right. don't know what you're talking about. Right. Um, well, and, and, and it's just precluding them from, um, you know, you mentioned earlier, God doesn't, you know, build a bridge into a, a lake. Uh, the, these things are all knitted together. I mean, it's, it, you're actually leading them into an awful yes, life. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not for their good in any sense, either absolutely. their soul or their body, um, or their absolutely. relationships, but, um, yeah, Josh, um, we are, I guess, well, we've gone over time, so, uh, I guess we should get in parting thoughts before we uh, close this down. Um, we're just having too much fun. <laughs> I'm having fun too, guys. This is great. Yeah, I, I've got much more that I could say, but I think that we should probably keep some of that in reserve. Uh, Rosaria, I hope you can join us again um, soon. And, and I'd love of it. Course, uh, you know, send send us your friends to write for us. Um, you know, because uh, we we um, yes. you know. We're in a very, very friendly platform to a wide range of, of reformed thinking on politics. And so really eager to hear uh, views from, from your denomination, which you great. expressed earlier. But Great, great. Um, yeah, I think we, we appreciate your time. Um, and thank you for your, thank you for your work, um, your writing, uh, your speaking. Um, we, uh, yeah. Well, all glory goes to God. Well, I'm yeah, grateful well, for your work. If I could, if I could throw out one more question yeah. that's just uh, that, that's on on brand there. So we are appreciative of your work, Rosaria. What I want to know is, in some sense, how you get away with it. Yeah. Um. Because, because you've you've not yet. Um. It, it's I think people know in the current 
in the system they've set up of uh, they're actually not allowed to cancel you. And you keep getting to say uh, all these forthright <laughs> spicy things. Uh, but there's there's other people who haven't yeah, gotten away yeah. with it. So what's what's why do you think you get away? Well, with so much well, I get canceled. I, I've, I've had some really fun cancellations. But then I I I, I talk to my <laughs> friends like Megan Basham and I I'm not a journalist, but I, I play one on TV. And so when I get canceled, sometimes I try to investigate like, oh, what was the real problem? And I find a dead body in the middle of crew or something like that. So, you know, believe me, I've been canceled. But but um, <laughs> I, I I think my window is definitely closing. But I think my 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 secret mm. weapon might be that I'm married to Kent Butterfield. <laughs> and so so mm. and I. I really do mean that. I think, you know, if you think I'm bold, you should hear the preaching I sit under. I, I, I look like I'm just like a kindergarten teacher, you know, with a, with, you know, an, an apple juice sippy cup. Um, uh, but I, I would say this, I, I, I don't take myself very seriously. Um, I don't have a ministry. I, um, I, I'm not on, on social media. I don't, I, I do know that I'm on, so like I, you know, I do know that I can be completely eviscerated on social media and nothing really happens. Um, I, I don't, uh, I don't know, like I, I don't take myself all that seriously. My window is closing and I want to use it to the glory of God. And I would say too, I, mm. It makes me sad that I look out on this world and I see my fingerprints all over it. Um, certainly as a gay rights activist, but even as a Christian who failed to say the hard things when I should have. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm older, I'm a grandmother, I don't want to waste this time. And um, I, I do think that there's something very powerful about the reality of being a housewife, which is what I am, right? I mean, I, I, you know, I, I homeschool kids. I teach, uh, in a co-op high school rhetoric literature class. I, um, I, there's something very powerful about not having a job to lose. So I could go and say what needed to be said at Liberty. And I knew that I would get some phone calls of people who would be disappointed, but I don't have a job to lose, but there are people who do. Um, and, 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 you know, I also have, my children are older and they're, they're strong Christians. And so, um, they come with, you know, one of them, my son comes with me to school board meetings. Um, so we're able to have hard conversations around our dinner table without having to, 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 uh, you know, there was a time when we needed to protect the ears of young children. That's not that time right now. We're, we're in a place to do this. And so, um, I, I do think the Lord has given me some some special protections and some special energy. Uh, and, and in part, I'm hoping to take some of the weight off of, you know, you guys, Josh and Timon, and, you know, as people with young families and in a, you know, different situations, hopefully by, by Kent and I uh, entering into some of this fray, you guys can raise your children in the Lord and not, and, and not have to always jump into this. So I, I would say the Lord's very, very gracious to me. And, um, you know, what is, you know, the old, the old saying about the Westminster Confession of Faith, how much he loves imbeciles and idiots. And so here I am, <laughs> but I'm sure my window is closing. And so I have a whole lot of knitting projects all lined up for when that happens. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we, we will pledge to not cancel you, uh, if that, if that does come around, but, uh, 
we we really appreciate um, you giving us your time today um Josh, you, you read us in. Do you want to read yeah, us absolutely. out also? Thank you, Rosaria. Thank you, Timon. Audience, thank you as always. Um, you know where to find us at AmericanReformer.org, on Twitter at AMReformer. Um, please do uh, consider supporting our work today. Uh, as Rosaria just mentioned, it's crucial that we have people who are in a position where they're resilient and they can speak prophetically without pressure. People who work for American Reformer are in that situation because of the generosity of our supporters. We are out here in the public square um, defending and casting a vision for uh, society, for culture and politics. It's all rooted in Protestant Christianity. Um, and, and all of that depends upon people like you supporting our work. So thank you. Please prayerfully con uh, consider continuing that. Um, thank you for your time, though, again, and until next time, God bless. You can find American Reformer on the Internet at www.americanreformer.org or on x.com, formerly Twitter, at amreformer. Don't forget to like, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Please consider supporting us today by making a tax-deductible donation through our secure online donation portal at AmericanReformer.org. That's AmericanReformer.org.